Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast. Craig Schaub here with Bob Garber, our New York City film critic. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, happy Wednesday. Yeah. Well, we've got a couple of movies to talk about, and we'll uh, be doing a list as well. Uh, first off, a, a very highly anticipated summer release, Elvis, although maybe not for box office excitement, but certainly for Oscar season with Austin Butler, Tom Hanks. Tell us about Elvis. Uh, does it meet the hype? Well, uh, in terms of visual style, yes, very much so. Um, you know, the, uh, it's directed by Boz Lorman, and his uh, style is on full display here. Um, you know, he's known for some very gouty films, and uh, this is definitely uh, maybe maybe his gaudiest to date. Okay. <laughs> I think that's kind of the thing with Lerman is you either like it or you don't. And it, it can vary from movie to movie, really. I mean, I I enjoyed, for whatever reason, Romeo and Juliet. A new, it was a new, fresh take sort of on it. So I thought, eh, you know, it's different. Why not? But, I, you know, Moulin Rouge is a very good Baz Luhrmann film. The Great Gatsby, not so much. I think, uh, you know, his Australia movie was, was actually a little bit more tame for him. And I enjoyed that. Um, you know, how do you kind of take Luhrmann? Do you, are you a fan of Luhrmann or is it a little bit too much style over substance with him? Um, I'm I'm not a huge fan, although I do like I do like Moulin Rouge, and I uh, probably would have given it uh, Best Picture that year, yeah. um, at least among the nominees. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Over um, what what did uh, Beautiful Mind? Um, but uh, but but yeah. Um, but uh, it seems like uh, the perfect marriage of uh, of of his style. Um, well, which is style over substance, uh, uh, with uh, the marriage of uh, him with this artist, that uh, many right. would say uh, was uh, was style over substance, especially in his later years. Yeah. Well, and obviously uh, this time around, he's taking on Elvis, which maybe lends itself a little bit. It's a stylish guy, very over the top uh, personality and persona and costumes and things of that nature. So maybe this kind of lends itself to. Uh, Lerman directing it does he sort of get this right I mean uh, you know was he maybe the right man to take on this Elvis project what did you think of the film overall um overall I liked it um you know Austin Butler is giving a really good performance uh Tom Hanks he makes some bold decisions with the way he plays Colonel Tom Parker who's actually technically the main character in this movie Okay. Um, you know, the, the whole thing is seen through his eyes, I guess, kind of the way, um, you know, Amadeus is seen through the eyes of the villain and Salieri. Um, you know, Hanks makes some interesting decisions, uh, maybe stealing the accent uh, from uh, from Austin Powers and Goldmember. That's that's about the only movie <laughs> I can think of where uh, where a character had such an exaggerated Dutch accent. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, you know, overall, does this work? You know, I mean, I, maybe it might fall short at the Oscars, especially being a summer release. It could be forgotten about. Um, but uh, does this movie, you know, hit the right notes enough to, to recommend? What's your uh, final grade on Elvis? I think it I think it does. I think it's maybe a little over long, overstuffed uh, the way um, 
the way Elvis would overstuff uh, some bananas into his peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think I think overall it works. I think uh, I think it's going to make for a, a good time if you see it. Okay. Um, and I give it a B minus. Okay. Can't complain about that. I mean, like like I said, I think with with a Lerman film, you, you know. From film to film, it's it's either like it or you're down, and sometimes the style works, and maybe other times it's a little bit too much, like with Great Gatsby for me. So I'll uh, definitely be interested in checking out Elvis. So let's move on to our uh, next release, The Black Phone. And, you know, it's not all that common that you get uh, a great actor like Ethan Hawke to uh, come into the summer blockbuster season and play a villain in a horror film but here we are 2022 tell us about the black phone with ethan hawk well um you know in this film uh a uh, child uh gets abducted by this uh, character played by ethan hawk um he's trapped in a uh in a basement and uh he relies on phone calls from the killer's previous victims to get out um, at the same time, the kid's sister uh, has uh, has dreams and visions about uh, about the various kidnappings, and uh, she's trying to uh, to break him out using some unreliable this unreliable series of visions. Um, as far as uh, as far as the, the relationship between the main victim and Ethan Hawke goes, um, it's basically like trying to see. Uh, somebody trying to break out of an escape room that's that's kind of what i would uh compare it to and uh, i i've said this about the escape room movies in the past it's more fun to to do that yourself than it is to watch somebody else do it right and i i there, there's kind of a lot of that here okay so overall uh, what did you think of the black phone what's your final grade for the black phone I gave it a B minus. It has some some great moments. Um, the kids aren't the best actors, but they have some uh, great profanity deliveries. Okay. And uh, Ethan Hawke does make for uh, a memorable villain, even if he is relying a little too much on his uh, on his mask. I think for uh, for scares. Okay. All right. Well, interesting. Uh, you know, sometimes people are looking for something other than the summer blockbuster. Um, and I think the Black Phone did did fairly well, given the crowded field we had uh, in the box office. Uh, so, you know, maybe this is uh, something that uh, Hawk can utilize for uh, some big paydays, as he's always been known as a great, uh, a great actor and usually taking on sometimes lesser known or independent projects. So good to see him get a payday and actually star in something that might not be so bad either. So. All right, Bob. Well, uh, we are going to be doing a list this week, and the list that uh, we are going to be doing, I think, is what we've sort of talked about of sort of the best use of music in film. So songs that maybe appear at certain times of films or, you know, whether it's a hit song or an oldie, whatever it may be. Um, is that kind of where we're at with, with this list here? Yeah, basically... Um... Basically, this list I was reserved for anything that wasn't an original song because I wanted to tie it in with Elvis, and sure. you know, it's all it's all Elvis songs. Yeah, um, you know, sometimes performed, and sometimes you hear them on the soundtrack uh, repurposed, right, uh, or or remixed. Sure. Um, right. But uh, when when coming up with this list, 
Uh, I'm sorry, I got to look at my notes here. When coming up with this list, I basically um, tried anything that wasn't. I basically said anything that wasn't original songs right. uh, would count, and and I kind of made a mistake there because probably should have tried to define it a little bit better than that because you know you could include you could include uh, show tunes from movie musicals, you could include uh, pieces of classical music that. Um, you know that I normally wouldn't um, normally wouldn't be on a list like this, but but you know would technically count. Okay. Um, do you mind if I go first? Yeah, I would. Uh, I would love to hear your list. What what do you got for us? Give us your top five, Bob. Okay, so um, for number five, uh, I have uh, and I am telling you from Dreamgirls. Uh, this was the Jennifer Hudson performance. Um, you know, never before have I been so sure that somebody is going to win an Oscar um, based on a single musical performance than, than Jennifer Hudson in this movie. Uh, she just she just belts this out and just knocks everybody's socks off with this number. Um, and I mean, again, this was this was, you know, not written for the movie. It first appeared on stage, so it counts on this list, even though um, you know, it wasn't originally the kind of thing I thought of when I came up with the idea for this list. But uh, given the the rules I set, it, it's anything other than an original song, it would uh, it would count. Uh, number four, I have "Somewhere Over the Rainbow." Uh, now, you might be thinking that doesn't count because it's an original song from The Wizard of Oz, and that's true. Uh, but this the version I picked is the version from the movie Judy. Oh, okay. uh, from a few years ago that that won Renee Zellweger and Oscar. Okay. Um, I, I can't say that this movie, uh, like um, that this song, like with "And I Am Telling You," uh, was a clincher for an Oscar for Renee Zellweger because Renee had clinched the Oscar long before this move. This song came up in the movie. But again, this was a very easy Oscar for the for the singer. Um, just tremendous stuff. Uh, at this point in the movie, she's uh, she's so messed up that she can't finish it herself. She has to rely on the audience to finish it for her. But it's even better that way. It's it's you know such a rousing, inspirational version of it that you can't help but but fall in love with it. Um, at number three. I have La Vie Bohème uh, from the movie Rent. Again, um, this pro this wasn't really in mind what I had in mind when I came up with this list, but I love this song and I love this movie and I think it is really a lot better than the stage version. I know a lot of people are gonna dislike my opinion on that. <laughs> I, I do think that the movie version of Rent is better than the stage version. And the cast just goes all out for what seems like forever uh, on a, an extended version of this delightful song that uh, that really just pulls out all the stops. And uh, you know, it made me want this immediately want the soundtrack for this movie uh, back back when buying soundtracks was still a thing. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, just uh, just couldn't get enough of that. 
Um, speaking of Bohem, uh, number two is Bohemian Rhapsody from Wayne's World. You knew there had to be a Mike Myers movie on this list somewhere. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, another elongated musical sequence. Uh, th this time th this time it's a little bit more fitting for uh, for what I had thought of uh, when I came up with this list. But uh, yeah, really funny stuff here at number two, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody from Wayne's World. And, um, you know, that, that really helped elevate this this movie from just a series of goofy Gen X gags to, uh, to a real cultural milestone. Um, and then at number one, uh, you knew there was going to be a Quentin Tarantino movie on this list. And uh, naturally, Stuck in the Middle with You from Reservoir Dogs. Um, you know, the greatest movie torture scene of all time. Um, you know, it's hard to decide what's more torturous between Michael Madsen wielding a straight razor and his dancing. Just uh, just an iconic scene. Uh, scary and funny at the same time. Like, like the best scary scenes. Um, and just something instantly memorable. Uh, personal anecdote, um, I did a version of this at a uh, at an acting camp uh, once where I uh, took a uh, took a butter knife to a Mr. Potato Head doll. Oh, wow. I didn't I didn't realize you had that in you, Bob. I think we need to I'm glad we're doing this remotely, so I don't want to get on your bad side. Uh not uh not necessary. But uh, but yeah, that's my number one choice. Uh, Steelers wheel stuck in the middle with you from Reservoir Dogs. Great list. Uh, I certainly feel like we probably could have just done our top five Tarantino songs. Yeah. Tarantino also makes my list uh, as well as you would expect. Um, although not that song specifically, but I'll get into a personal anecdote about that and why that's on my list. So I'll start off with number five. I've got Ride of the Valkyries, Richard Wagner from Apocalypse Now, a, uh, a very iconic scene in, in film. Um, and maybe uh, it's even more elevated because we have the, um, you know, the smell of napalm line that, that that's around there. And it just, it gets you, it, it's almost like it gets you in, like intensely into the battle. Like you, it's almost like you want to join the fight when you're hearing this song come over the soundtrack and watching this, you know, this raid with the helicopters. It's a very iconic scene and uh, certainly a great use of music as well for me. At number four, I've got uh, Tiny Dancer for, uh, by Elton John in Almost Famous. Uh, probably, you know, one of the great movies about journalism, about music. And here we have uh, the, the whole band, Stillwater, riding the tour bus and they break into song with Tiny Dancer. And then, of course, eventually the song kind of takes over as well in the soundtrack. But uh, good use of music there and Cameron Crowe's just masterwork of, of brilliance and, and, and almost famous. So number four for me. Uh, number three, I've got Hip to be Square, Huey Lewis in the News, and American Psycho. Um, great, great little intro here into the music with uh, Christian Bale's Over the Top. It's over the top, but in a good way performance, and it's very eerie and creepy, but also very confident, and, and Bale just knocks it out of the park here. One of his better performances before he became the great actor Christian Bale that everybody knows him as, but this was a really good jumping off point for him 
to get his new, you know, his movie career really out in the forefront that he can not only be a leading man, but be a great actor in a leading role. And uh, I think American Psycho did that for him. And this, this again, sort of a, uh, you know, in the vein of the, the Michael Madsen scene where Bale's putting this music on, he's describing the song and he's basically about ready to kill someone uh jared leto in this scene um and it's a it's a very disturbing scene but uh juxtaposed with the uh excitement and the uh the 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 sound and the beat of a huey lewis song very creepy but very interesting use of music there for american psycho at number two i've got goodbye horses from q lazarus in silence of the lambs another one of those iconic scenes where uh buffalo bill is uh being Buffalo Bill dancing and uh, doing some things and, and sort of making yeah. his uh, skin suit uh, jacket that he wants to wear for whatever reason. That's what weird people do, I guess, is they make <laughs> out of skin and bandy themselves around the, the, uh, the you know, their sewing shop. And so it's just a, another eerie, creepy use of music here with, with Q Lazarus dropped into the scene. And uh, it, it kind of fits, though. I mean, it just it just seems to work as an iconic song that's thrown into a, an iconic part of a movie and uh, a very good use of it, one of my favorites. And number one, I do have Quentin Tarantino on the list, as I said. And instead of, uh, you know, the Reservoir Dogs, I have You Never Can Tell, the Chuck Berry uh, pop song that is used in the diner Jackrabbit Slims in the dance scene with Uma Thurman and John Travolta. And the reason why, here's my personal anecdote with this, Bob. When when I got married to my wife in 2016, we had a movie-themed wedding. And as you would expect, being a, a little bit of a aspiring to do more, you know, we had movie centerpieces, we have a, a movie cake and all that. We had movie posters made. Well, I wanted to do something a little bit different for our first dance. So instead of a normal just first dance, whatever, beautiful, slow song, we did a compilation of music. And uh, we did some stuff from uh, Twilight for our slow dance. We did this song, You Never Can Tell, uh, in the middle. And then we also did a song... Um, from Silver Linings Playbook that was a little faster. So we, we did a three-song mashup. It was the end scene uh, when, I can't remember the song exactly, but Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper were in the dance competition, and they they broke out into their, their rock music. I think it was the, oh, yes, yeah, the White Stripes, um, the White Stripes song. So, um, but yeah, You Never Can Tell was our, our middle piece, and uh, it's, it's an iconic scene. I, I think that's kind of my my list has gone this direction where I've just kind of picked these iconic scenes that stand out to me that I always remember the use of music. And I think for me, this uh, use of you never can tell in Pulp Fiction is always going to be uh, memorable, memorable to me even before the wedding, but even so more so after the wedding. Well, as I recall, uh, you never can tell was also part of that uh, dance competition scene in Silver Linings Playbook. It, maybe, I, maybe I'm misremembering it. It might have been, but I know the song that we did for our wedding was a White Stripes number, but I can't recall at this point what it was. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's my list. What did you think of my list? I think I think you had a great list. Um, I do want to uh, throw a bone literally to um, an honorable mention. I sure. was kind of 
concerned that maybe a repurposed classic song, a classical song, uh, shouldn't count for this list. But uh, since you had um, "Ride of the Valkyries," mm-hmm. um, I felt like uh, it's also worth mentioning. Mentioning, and I um, am, am sorry if I trip over the name of this song. Um, I mean, everybody knows it's it's either the song from this movie or the knows this song as either the song from this movie or the theme music for a professional wrestler. Um, and that song is called Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Um, basically, the um, the 2001 A Space Odyssey music slash yeah. Ric Flair music. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, but, uh, a song. Yeah, yeah if, if, if the universe's mysteries are someday explained to me and this song wasn't playing at the dawn of time, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> that is a great point. Uh, and also probably like most people would be like, I've never heard that song. Well, have you ever watched Ric Flair come out and there you go. So it's a, a great honorable mention and certainly a song that probably could have cracked uh, both of our top five lists, but uh, well, a, a great uh, top five, I think from, from here. And it's very fitting as we talk about Elvis, let's talk about movie uh, mu- music in movies. Uh, what's coming up next week for us, Bob? Well, we're going to, we're going to have to take next week off. That's right. What's coming up the following week? Fourth of July weekend is going to wipe me out. But um, uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, we've got uh, we've got Minions, and we've also got uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. Yeah, well, a big packed week of summer blockbusters. All right, Bob. Until then, we will talk at that point about some more summer movie releases. Thank you for stopping by. As always, we always appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. This is the highlight of my week. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.